to left corner to Aginla. Aginla to the left circle. Passing the yellow shot. Save made by Aginla. Three bounce. Another shot. They score! The Blades win it! Yeah, baby! They score! And the sea of red erupts. Flames talk starts now on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Here's Pat Steinberg. Okay, we are underway on this Tuesday, May 2nd. Flames Talk coming at you from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. And got a lot to get into after the news of Monday. Still reacting to the news of Daryl Sutter being fired and... Still figuring out what all comes next for the Calgary Flames. We're available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. And let's kick off this hour by saying hello to our NHL insider, Frank Saravalli. joins us Tuesdays for South Trail Chrysler. With inventory shortages across the city, it's the perfect time to sell your vehicle for cash. Visit SouthTrailChrysler.com. Frank joins us now from Daily Faceoff and DailyFaceoff.com. Mr. Saravalli, how are you? Mr. Steinberg, good. How are you? I'm well, my friend. Uh, it's been about 24 hours since, a little bit more now, uh, since we got the news about Daryl Sutter and his departure from the Flames. I'm just curious mm-hmm. as to how you uh, have all, have you digested all of it and all of what we've heard and found out over the last little bit here? Yeah, I, I have. I think if you've been paying attention and listening to what I've been saying, which I know you have for the last number of weeks and or months, that this was kind of an inevitable decision. Um, I, I framed it the way that I did a few weeks back when I wrote my story about the pending questions for the teams that didn't make the playoffs. And it was, is there a viable path for Daryl Sutter to return as coach? And I, I believed at the time, based on what I was hearing from players, uh, executives, agents, etc., that there wasn't that he essentially had alienated so many people in the organization uh, with the way that he conducted himself, that there was just no way to make it back as coach. There was, you know, obviously a contractual path, Mm -hmm. but for that team to remain competitive and have a chance to win, I, I don't think that was the case. So there was sort of one clear choice. And I think we could talk a lot about how, this the flames went about it it seems backwards to say it kindly that you essentially have your general manager that walks from the position because he wants to make the change and is not able to for whatever reason to then only do that and make the change two weeks later doesn't make a lot of sense to me but i think at the end of the day the flames made the only possible choice and that was the right one yeah, and I'm I'm curious as to your understanding of of the process and how we got here because I know there's yeah there's been a lot of talk about well had they made this decision earlier would Brad True Living still be the general manager of this team and and could that have been avoided I'm just curious as to your thoughts on the process and and you know the the way things could have gone if things went differently Yeah, I think he probably still would be. I think they wanted to have him back. I think essentially the without you know, putting words in anyone's mouth. I think there was essentially an ultimatum that was either me or him. It's not quite as simple as that, but that's sort of the nuanced, simple explanation. Um, And he ended up walking. And I think as part of that process, Don Maloney had a seat at the table 
to listen to all of the exit interviews and hear directly from the horse's mouth what the players were saying, what the equipment and training staff was saying, the assistant coaches, the other executives, uh, part of the organization. And then, as he mentioned at his press conference on Monday, agents, that he basically spent the last two weeks building what was an irrefutable plan to say this is the only path forward that makes any sense for the Calgary Flames if the goal is to be competitive. And now you're left with the question, which kind of brings it full circle, was is there any chance that these two sides, Brad Tree Living and the Flames, could get married again? You know, you walk, you separate for two weeks, and then, you know, essentially what you wanted to see happen happens. I think there's a lot of people out there, and you saw Don Maloney smile when he was asked about it during the press conference, that would like to see it. Don Maloney and Brad Tree Living are thick as thieves. Mm-hmm. It's it's not going to happen, at least is what I'm told. And I guess crazier things have happened, but the Flames are going down a different path, and I think Brad Tree Living is ready to work again, and my guess is we'll have another job in the NHL in relatively short order. Kind of one of those situations, whether it was 100% by choice or not, but uh, Flames are, are very much kind of in a clean slate and definitely at that crossroads now they've got two. And maybe that was part of it. Yeah, and I could, I, and I, I, I think there probably was Brad a little Drew bit too. As that. well, like yeah. after nine nine years in the role, maybe it is time for for new blood. Big. I mean, look, we it's been a big summer all for the last number of months. We've been looking ahead to a big summer for this team, but now you take a look at this and the opportunity to really reset the direction of the organization. Even if you are hiring internally on on both of these big hires, it it really mm-hmm. is a, a crossroads summer in a lot of ways for the Flames. And we've been setting that up for a little while, and now kind of feels like here we are. the The door has been open for just that. Well, I, I think it's a a blank slate, not just from a hiring perspective, but also from a player perspective. Um, you know, in talking to various people around the league that have connections to Calgary, um, you know, the sentiment was any trade requests that were out there or demands, so to speak, have been rescinded now that there's been a coaching change. Okay. So that I think opens the door for some players that might've been, hesitating to eventually re-sign that'll of course be the call of whoever's the next general manager but that that's part of the reason why it was so important from a competitive standpoint that doesn't really make sense to throw away an 83 and a half million dollar roster whatever next season ends up being on the basis of a four million dollar coach that's the calculus that the calgary flames sports and entertainment needed to weigh um and like I said, I, I think ultimately the right decision was made, if not the process being screwed up to get there. Just uh, to double back on on what you said about players who may have trade requests in or whatever the case may be. I know that uh, on one of your latest, uh, you have Elias Lindholm pretty high up on your trade targets for the offseason. So even even a guy like him who, you know, we all wondered about his future after his locker cleanout day comments, would, would there be a significantly better chance that he does not get traded after yesterday's news? I think that's the case. I think that's accurate. Um, 
he will be moved way down the list on the next trade targets board, if not removed entirely. Um, and it, it's, it's not just him. So I want to make clear that we're not singling out any one player. Cause mm-hmm. I believe that there was at least a handful of players who had spoken honestly and, and frankly to Brad tree living and Don Maloney, who were in the room for the exit interviews to, to say exactly that. If essentially is it's as simple as, if this guy's back, I don't want to play here. And that's why I don't think there's really any chance that Lindholm gets traded. I don't know about an extension, but I think there's a, a much more minimized chance that he's moved because the goal here is to rebound. The goal is to be a playoff team, to compete for a championship, to, to you know, to get that energy back and that juice back in that room. I don't think it's all as simple as saying that it was on the coach. I do think the players wear a lot of what happened this season on the ice, but since the goal is to be competitive, you can't really do that if you don't have Elias Lindholm. Yeah, for sure. He, uh, he's their most important forward. I think that is uh, very, very clear. And yet like, do you, I'm curious on the Lindholm front just because there's still uncertainty as to whether or not he wants to re-sign here or not and feels like there's a much better chance of that happening now after yes. Monday's news than before. But, you know, if you're not if you're not getting the vibes that he's going to re-sign or that there's a lot of interest to sign a long-term extension with the team, would this summer be a good time to think about moving him? I don't think so because while the interest will be massive – it's not going to be really diminished at all. If your team is no good next year and you get to March and you say you want to move him. I think if you're real, first off, I just think from a philosophical standpoint, I think teams get so they twist themselves into pretzels. The idea that because you signed a player to a six year deal or whatever it is that they can't just finish the deal and walk. Like as if there's something wrong with it. You have to get something for this guy. You you sign him to that term for a reason. So if that's the case, and, and not advocating that the Flames should get nothing, but if your goal is to be competitive, then you got to do everything you can to make sure you're icing the best team possible come October. And wherever the chips fall after that, then that's how it might be. But if you need to pivot and and then try and trade him in March at the deadline, then that's, that's fine too. You're going to get just as much, I think then as you would in the summer. Right. Yeah. They, if not more, cause you're going to have the ability to retain. Right. Right. Yeah. That's a, uh, it is a fascinating, he's one of the really fascinating players to watch and even more interesting now after Daryl Sutter leaving the team and the flames firing him on Monday. Um, where are we on this GM search? What's your understanding as to where the flames are in that regard? I think it's like quite literally in the 24 hour old stage. Okay. Um, I think they've were so focused on presenting what, what ended up being an ironclad case as to what they wanted to do on a coaching standpoint that they couldn't even really begin to, to talk to candidates like how, you know, if, if everyone knows that Daryl Sutter is surviving as coach, how could you then really field a group of interesting candidates 
knowing that you're going to inherit a bulletproof coach. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that was possible. I think they needed to get that move done first before they could focus on the GM post. And I'm told that in the last 24 hours, Don Maloney has begun to make some calls around the league to try and uh, develop a list and, uh, you know, eventually begin the interview process. Not there yet. And I think the list is only in its, you know, initial germination stages. Okay. Frank Saravalli is with us. He is our NHL insider from Daily Faceoff and dailyfaceoff.com. He joins us Tuesdays here on Flames Talk, uh, leaving the Flames to elsewhere around the NHL. The first round ends on Monday night with a Devils Game 7 home ice victory over the New York Rangers. Uh, just, Just your thoughts on New Jersey being able to get to round two and being able to knock off the Rangers. Yeah, I think... We sort of saw that team come of age a bit. Like, you have to rewind back to last summer and really the expectations heading into this season for the New Jersey Devils. Some people saw them in, like, sixth place in their own division as a non-playoff team. They obviously took incredible strides in the regular season, then swung big to add Timo Meyer, And Meyer that hit in game seven, notwithstanding, which I would like to talk about in a second, if you're interested yeah. is he, he didn't have any points in the seven game series, which is kind of the amazing part of it. And you see Jack Hughes dominate play. Uh, you know, that his brother, um, you know, is going to have a significant impact on that team in the near term future. And they're, they're going to be a fascinating team to watch because, sort of like the Rangers last year that burst onto the scene, maybe a year ahead of time. I don't think the devils have arrived at this stage early by any means, but it it certainly feels like they have an opportunity here to bump up against the notion that you have to go on a deep playoff run in order to challenge. I I think um, the Carolina hurricanes are going to have their hands full. This is going to be a track meet. And I think the the firepower that New Jersey has, even though they struggled to score goals at times against the Rangers, I chalk a lot of that up to Igor Shesterkin. I I think the I think the Hurricanes are are in trouble. So, you know, you have New Jersey potentially advancing to a conference final against either Toronto or Florida, and if it somehow ends up being Florida, like I I could we see New Jersey playing for a cup? Like I, I, I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility mm-hmm. that that's the case. What, uh, what were your thoughts on Jacob Truba's hit on Timo Meyer? So I think it's totally clean. Um, I think it's tough to watch at the same time. And my thought process is it's evolved a lot. And a big reason for that is is the defenseless player rules that we've seen enacted in the NFL. Like, if you think about how hockey's played, like, no matter how good your confidence is or your hand-eye coordination is, you still have to look down at the puck. Like, it's a fact of the game. And because you have to look down at the puck, I don't think should just make you uh, susceptible to having your brain scrambled by someone like Jacob Truba. I think we know too much. I think 
to continue to, and again, recognizing that this is clean by the current standards, I, I think it's, it's time for some change. Um, I'm a firm believer in evolve or die. And when you look at that hit, like it's tough, it's, it's tough to watch, but then consider yourself a parent of a youth hockey player. Then consider yourself a youth hockey player yourself. Mm -hmm. do, do you, this is why kids sometimes aren't that interested. It's why the biggest sport in my neighborhood now is flag football, not tackle football. People just aren't, they're not ready for it. And the blood sport, the blood thirst of it, I think it's, it's evaporating. So to keep it in the game for this idea of, well, our sport is tougher than yours. Like, tell me what is the end game of that hit? Who does that serve? It doesn't serve the players. It doesn't serve the game because I think you end up losing out on high skill players that say, I don't need that. I could go play baseball. It, whatever it may be that you're into. And, and I just ran a poll on Twitter today, 20, approaching 25,000 votes. Should that hit be legal? I know it is legal, mm -hmm. but should it be? And more people than not, I think it's close to 54% are saying they'd rather see something like that out of the game. To even think that that would have been a question five years ago it wouldn't have been. I think the overall viewer appetite and fan base is evolving too. And I think it's important for the league that is worried about alienating traditionalists to have the conversation. So what does that conversation look like then? Is it just, is it as simple as head hits in the NHL? You just, they're, they, they're no longer allowed and you start penalizing head hits. Cause the one thing that I'll say is that, Whatever rule the NHL has implemented and however they've gone about changing things, players do always adapt. And there's always eventually, like the, the adjustment is made. So I do think if all of a sudden you start penalizing head hits, you'll, you'll, see, them, uh, you'll see them come down. Is it as simple as that? I think so. I mean, I don't know the proper way to police it. Like, do you have to then... Is it just open ice hits? Are hits along the wall, more, you know, more tolerable? Um, I don't have a clear answer on what is the best line to draw in the sand. Mm -hmm. But I, I think we've seen a trend in this direction, you know, going back to the, you know, Mike Richards on David Booth hit, which I was in the building for that one. That seemed to spur a lot of the change in terms of hits to the head. It evolve or die. Like that's, that's really how I see it. And ultimately like players are going to die. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that, like at some point there's going to be some hit that just absolutely crushes someone and puts them in serious peril. And either that or the lifetime of peril that might come with it. I just, I don't think the juice is worth the squeeze, knowing what we know. I think it's going to be a conversation that has had more and more over the next number of years in this league when it comes to hits like that. So, And I'm one of those guys, just so you know where I'm coming from and yeah. anyone listening, huge proponent of fighting, have loved the physical aspect of it, um, love bone crunching hits. I've, I've been a huge fan of, of the physicality of it for a long time. I just, 
I, I have, and maybe it's just a weaker stomach now. Maybe it's just watching other people go through what they go through after they're done playing that I just, I've changed. Yeah. Frank Saravalli's with us. Daily Faceoff NHL Insider joins us on Tuesdays here on Flames Talk. A few more for you. Uh, okay, so Rangers out in seven. What does Patrick Kane's future look like now? It looks like hip surgery this summer. Okay. Um, I, I don't know how closely you watched it, Pat, but he really was laboring. Yeah. Uh, he did not look like himself. He didn't have the flash and dash. He didn't have really the swagger. Um, and it's a shame for the Rangers who also went into that eyes wide open. There's a reason why he only fetched a second round pick and he just didn't have the Patrick Kane showtime magic that we're so accustomed to seeing. And I, I don't think it's at all due to age. I think it's entirely due to the hip. So that's what's in his future. And I think that's going to cloud his, you know, signing ability, so to speak. Someone will sign him. There's no question about that, but where, what are his options and for how much? Mm-hmm. I, I I don't think money's going to be a motivating factor. He is currently at $118 million in career earnings. I think he's doing just fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's an interesting question and, and more so for the Rangers too. Like this is a team that went to the conference final last year. The kid line, I'm sorry, but once you go to a conference final and play in game sevens to get there, like you're no longer kids. Uh, you've now graduated and they didn't get enough from them. They didn't get enough from their other top six forwards outside of Kreider. And they, they have a defense that I don't think moves the puck well enough, certainly not at a rate of speed that you would like outside of Adam Fox. That really makes the Rangers, I think a true contender, like they've got Igor Shesterkin, but you can only ask one goalie to do so much. And that's really, I think, what's holding back New York. So do you think Kane plays next year or like the, the hip, hip surgery allows him still to play next year, we think? I would think so, depending on how quickly you get it done. Okay. Like it's generally, uh, I don't know the detail involved, but it's generally, you know, 12 weeks or so. So maybe a little bit longer or a little shorter. I would think if you can get it done quickly, you're back in time for training camp. Okay. Um, or close to it. What's going on? All of a sudden there's these question marks about Gerard Gallant's future in New York. What are we, what are we hearing there? Yeah. So I do expect a coaching change to happen. Um, I think his, well, first off the, the lack of success this year, him flogging the Rangers top six very publicly, I don't think helped his case. Um, I think the opposition sees Gerard Gallant as someone that, is lacking inventiveness, creativity to make the proper in-game and um, in-series adjustment. And he's no doubt a successful run, six almost a 660 points percentage uh, through these two seasons and a 13 and 14 record in the playoffs. Uh, a lot of teams would kill to have that type of success, but the expectations were different. And I just don't know how well he's meshed in general there um, with people around him that I think opens the door for a change. And and we know that their owner and James Dolan is mercurial at best. Mm-hmm. I heard Gerard Gallant's name on the chopping block going back to like November. So 
now with a first round exit and to New Jersey, a team that, you know, I'd say on paper, the, the Rangers probably shouldn't have lost to. Um, I just think opens the door for that. And so there's been lots of speculation, even before game seven, that Joel Quenville is the next guy there. I don't know how accurate that is. He's not even currently, you know, available or eligible to be an NHL head coach again, but that's been the speculation. Okay. Um, what you think just overall round one, how, how'd you like it? How do you rate round one of this year's Stanley cup playoffs? Uh, it was bananas. I would say the start of it was really good. There was kind of a lull there in the middle for a bit that wasn't quite as scintillating, but then the upsets at the end and the drama too, like no matter what happened in Toronto, like you couldn't really take your eyes off of it. Like the Leafs advancing, um, we were one Toronto or we were one Tampa Bay lightning shot away in OT from a game seven last night. Um, there was so many things happening that, you know, I think the unfortunate part of the playoffs in hockey is that they get worse as it goes on. Players are just beat up. Um, the interest level wanes cause it's still a very regional and parochial sport. Mm-hmm. Whereas like the NBA, their first round usually stinks and the finals are awesome. It seems like it's, you know, the NBA is more traction here in the U S like more people watch the NBA first round than ever before. I don't think that was the case with the NHL this time around, but um, I hope the second round has some bits of, of what made the first round so entertaining. Good stuff. As always, Frank, appreciate the time. We will uh, talk to you again next week and uh, enjoy the beginning of round two. Hey, and who knows what kind of flames news we can cook up between now and then. I know, hey, there's, there's another whole week until we talk again, so we could mm-hmm. have lots of things to talk about. Thank you, pal. Have a good one. He's Frank Saravalli. He's our daily face-off NHL insider, and he joins us Tuesdays on Flames Talk, kicking off this hour, and he's brought to you, as always, by Self Trail Chrysler. With inventory shortages across the city, it's the perfect time to sell your vehicle for cash. Visit SelfTrailChrysler.com. Hey, it's George Russick. And Matty Rose. We host the big show with Russick and Rose. If you miss us weekday mornings on Sportsnet 960 to fan, first of all, shame on you. Second of all, download the podcast on demand. So many places that you can find the podcast wherever you get your favorite. NHL, NFL, CFL, MLB, the stories that sports fans in Calgary want to hear. We got it for you. We are the big show. Talking your team right now. Flames Talk is on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Well, we got some good news as part of Monday's Daryl Sutter News Conference. Of course, when you fire a head coach, it's never good news. It means that the organization is typically not in a good place. But I'm not sure we were expecting the good news that we got. Um, it was certainly welcome. This is uh, President of Hockey Operations, Don Maloney. Just dropped this in the middle of one of his answers during the Daryl Sutter departure news conference on Monday. We had some good news last week when talking to Oliver Shillington. It certainly seems he's in a very good place. Um, told, told me he's excited about coming back next season, which is a, a very positive for the organization. Is it ever? Like, that is actually some really huge news for the team. It's Steinberg, and look, Aaron is here. What's up, Vic? Hey, buddy. What's going on? Not much, buddy. Um, we told you last week it was kind of trending in the direction for Shillington to be back, and all indications were pointing to him being back with the team next year. But that confirmation, definitely good to hear because 
That's an important player on this team. And uh, when Don sat down with us for our sit-down on Flames Talk right after his news conference, he expanded a little bit on where things sit with Oliver Shillington. I know uh, Brad Trelawney had talked to Oliver throughout the year, and uh, and but a real positive conversation with Oliver. How He was very grateful for the support the organization had given him throughout the year, the time he needed uh, to deal with uh, the, what he was dealing with. And... Uh, uh, he, he I, I mean, I don't uh, follow. I don't have Instagram. My wife does. He's, <laughs> he has starting vo- he, if starting posting a video of him working out. He looks fantastic. But more so, his it's just this whole uh, whole conversation was very upbeat, very positive, very excited about the opportunity to come back and and compete for a job with us. And and for we, you know, there are many things that happened this year uh, that caused us to to. Uh, uh, underperform. I think losing Oliver was one of those things that uh, you don't realize until he's gone. The, the, the you know just the the tempo, the puck moving, the the defensive compete that he brought. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a he's a he'll be a good guy to have around here next year. So first of all, this is big news because Shillington grew into a legit top four D man during the 2021-22 season. That pairing with him and Chris Tanev was one of Calgary's two top pairings that year, along with Hannafin and Anderson. I'd be curious, like, do you, everything remains the same and everybody's back that was on this blue line next year? And we'll get into more of that as the conversation continues. But if if everything remains status quo and Shillington rejoins this fold, do you reunite Shillington and Tanev and put those two together, especially knowing that Uyghur and Anderson had turned into such a good pairing? It's, it's a really curious thing as, as, first of all, just really happy that Oliver yes. is, is ready to come back. I know that there was some stretches there where it was a, a really rough go for him, and uh, he was he was struggling with some mental health things, and so I'm just glad that he's taken the year, taken the time away, and and gotten to a place where he feels upbeat and ready to come back. But yeah. That's big news for the team. It would be a big return for the team. Big news, as you mentioned, and kind of unexpected coming out of the news conference with Don Maloney. But let's just rewind a little bit and paint the picture on the season that Oliver Shillington had prior to this one, where, as you said, he solidified himself not only as an NHL defenseman, but as a top four on a team that was pretty impressive in the Western Conference. He averaged 18-10 of ice time, fourth on the team, solidified himself, as you mentioned, alongside Chris Tanev. Had 31 points in 73 games, including nine goals. He was the third most productive defenseman on the team. He was plus 34. I mean, that team was a juggernaut when it came to plus minus. And you just think of the top line that was like a combined 168 or something in that in that neighborhood. But Oliver Shillington was plus 34 that season. And when you run through the lines and you go, he not only did he force the Calgary Flames hand in training camp that year. He also forced himself into a top four role as a young defenseman who hadn't cut his teeth in a Daryl Sutter system. Yeah. So that in itself is impressive. Now, fast forward to what'll be next September. How does he fit in? Don Maloney mentioned in that clip on Instagram, he looks like he's ready to go, but that's off ice Oliver Shillington. I wonder how long it takes him to get back up to speed and if he can get back up to speed and look like that top, top four defenseman that we saw uh, at the end of last season or all through last season. It's an interesting question of how he slots. I could definitely see at some point a reunion with Chris Tanev, but I think it really depends on how much rust there is and if he's willing and not willing, if he's able to get back to that top form, but he certainly makes that decor a lot deeper. One of the things going into the season before we knew the news on Shillington 
uh, not reporting to camp, not being with the team, was you look how they're built. They had a Vesna goal runner up in goal. They had arguably the deepest blue line in the West, and they had the center depth down the middle with Lindholm, Nazem Kadri, Michael Backlund. Well, we know the goaltending didn't work out and the center depth was there, but maybe not to the full potential. And then you look at the blue line again, if he can come back and hit the ground running, hit the ice skating, suddenly that top six is, goes right back to being one of the most uh, deep, the deepest in the Western conference for me. Do you worry? You talked about taking a year off, right? And, and the reasons why he took a year off, we fully understand but do you worry about whether or not Oliver would be like, would that, is that going to set him back? I personally don't worry about that. You know, I, I don't think that taking a year off and coming back to training camp is going to be really all that different than everybody else who's taking the summer off and then coming back to training camp, in my opinion. And, and Oliver would not be the first guy to miss a lot of time and then come back. If you're a high end hockey player, if you're a high-end athlete, and Oliver Shillington is a high-end athlete, he's an NHLer, that's like 0.1% of the world population is that good in any one sport to be able to play at this level. If you're that good, I don't think you lose it even after taking a, a year off. And so I don't think he comes back to training camp with a significant disadvantage uh, against anybody else who's coming into training camp and, and starting the year. I, re- I know he hasn't played but I don't think that that is going to set him back to such a degree that, you know, all of a sudden he might not even be ready to play in the NHL for next year, or, you know, he, he, it's, it's going to set him back. Well, well now he's not an NHL defenseman. He's number eighth on the depth chart. I, I don't see that happening at all. I don't worry about him being able to get his game back to where it was. I wonder about how long it will take him because yes, being in shape is going to be one thing, but being able to jump back in and read plays after a full, it's going to be a long, it's going to be more than a year. It's going to be, what is it going to be about 16 months that he'll be off the ice away from the Calgary flames. Well, it'll go May of 2022 to September of yeah. So 17 months. Yeah, we'll call it that. About that. I wonder how quickly he's going to be able to pick up reads again. And now there's a new system. I'm imagining there's going to be a new system with a new head coach uh, behind the bench. I wonder how quickly he gets up to speed. I don't necessarily worry. The other thing to remember is, okay, he missed a year. He's still only going to be 26 when the puck drops. So he's still in what you would define as the quote-unquote prime of your career, or maybe he's even still just a little bit before that as a defenseman who has logged only 168 games in the NHL. There's still some room for growth there in his game as he gains more experience and learns again what he can do, what he can't do, what he needs to do in situation A, what he needs to abort in situation B. I don't necessarily worry that he can't get back to it. My question will be how long does it take him to hit that full stride again? I just I I think it will it'll take him the same amount of time as anybody else. Like I think that veterans come in and you have the preseason for a reason. And I think that he For me though, I don't look at it like okay, it's a summer off and you're right back at it. This is gonna be a full almost year and a half. Yeah, but what about that he's guys away. what about guys who tear their ACLs and miss the bulk of a season and then come back and they're able to play and, and again, as if I'm not, they've never left. Well, I mean I think I think that takes more time in terms of I think you're yeah, they come back and they play, but I don't think that player necessarily feels comfortable in game one on October fifth of the season. I think that in that situation 
you're relearning your leg a bit if you're talking about a lower no, body no, injury. Fair enough. And I'm I'm not saying that there won't be an adjustment. I'm not saying that it won't. It'll just be like, oh, it's as if he's never left. But I don't think it'll be such a setback or such a hurdle that's going to put him in a spot where he's way behind the eight ball at this year's training camp. That's that's more the point that I'm trying to make. No, I agree. I would fully expect him to come back in and be a top six, top six member of the Calgary Flames, but I don't think we're necessarily going to see game five in the second round against the Edmonton Oilers, Oliver Shillington, on game one of the regular season in 2023-2024. And I think the organization will take the approach of, yeah, listen, you missed a lot of time. We're not going to... We're not going to set the bar so high that you're going to feel like a failure the second you hit the ice. We're going to build you up and build you up and build you up to get you back to being that top four defenseman the last time we saw you. So where, like, how do you structure the top six as it stands? So let's let's just, who do they have under contract right now? So Shillington comes back. You've got Uyghur. You've got Anderson. You've got Hannafin. You've got Tanev. You've got Zadorov. There's six. Dennis Gilbert as well, contract. if you want to go that route. And then some free agents, maybe. Let's let's take keep it to the six. They'll take it, and then that's not a knock on Gilbert, but let's let's take Gilbert out of the conversation for a second because I think the NHL level we're talking about him kind of being that that platoon guy right now. So of those six, how do you structure your D pairings then? How if if again, and it, we'll, we'll we'll get into the potential of moving a player or where Troy Stetcher, who's a pending unrestricted free agent, fits in in just a second. But if it's those six. How do you structure your blue line? I mean, it's a good question because the way I look at it as it stands right now is you can do any combination of Hannafin, Anderson, Uyghur, and Tanev, and then your third pair, based on those names being off the board, are Zadorov and Shillington. And Shillington, I have full confidence that he can play his offside if need be. He's, I've seen him do it before. He's comfortable with it. But I wonder if you go back to Hannafin Anderson or if you go Uyghur Anderson and then Hannafin Tanev, and again, that having Shillington in that third pair, again, I don't want to call it easing him back in, but you're saying, hey, we're going to start you here and we're going to keep building you up and building up and building up. And then hypothetically, looking at the depth chart, maybe you have five top four defensemen and then the point becomes moot and you're able to switch things up based mm-hmm. on certain situations or if one guy's not going for a stretch in time, then the other guy steps in and subs in. The way I've got it structured in my head, and it's always been my default, is Hannafin Anderson. But if you do that, then your second pair is Uyghur Tanev, and you got two right shots, and your third pair is Zadorov Shillington, you got two left shots. So to a degree, if the new coach comes in and demands lefty righty, well, then that's out the window a fair bit. But again, you have the luxury of five, six defensemen that you're comfortable rolling out in almost any situation for almost any amount of minutes. So again, one of the deepest blue lines in the Western Conference, in theory. Yeah. I mean, we'd said that last summer, but it certainly gives the incoming coach a lot of options. I think about like as, as I work my way through it. I think I think you put Shillington back with Tanev, and I think you balance your pairings. I think you go Shillington with Tanev. I think you go Hannafin with Anderson, and I think you go Zadorov with Uyghur because Zadorov and Uyghur played really well together this year. And now you've kind of got three pairings that you can roll almost similarly to twenty one twenty two, where you had three pairings that you could kind of pen in when everybody's yep. healthy every single night. There was not a whole lot of change throughout the 21-22 season when you had Goodbranson and Zadorov together. Now, the only thing that would be a partial setback there or, or something that, that I think that you could counter with or rebut with saying, well, what about is the fact that, and I don't think it would be a third pairing, but does can you 
get enough out of Uyghur? Do you play Uyghur enough if he is on the right side with Sidorov? That would be the only question. Because if you go Anderson Uyghur with Uyghur on his left on his offside, then you're in a situation where you've kind of got that bona fide, legit top pairing, right? And so that would be the only potential drawback is that maybe you don't get enough ice time out of Uyghur, but I'm not, if he's getting, if you're, if you're putting him on PP2, like he was for a good chunk of last year. Um, and if he's playing a decent amount of five on five, I still think you're getting some, some good time out of him. So I, I don't think it's a huge worry myself. Well, the other alternative is, is okay. You do that and you have Uyghur's Zadorov and say by chance, Hannafin Anderson's having a terrible night. Well, then you can peel their minutes back to 15 or 16 in a hurry and elevate Zadorov Uyghur. Or again, if one of those two guys is having an off night, then you can just, there'll be a lot of interchangeability. I think, I think a new head coach will have a lot of options in terms of not just posting the lineup on the wall prior to the game, but in-game situations as well. And just to circle back on Shillington a little bit, and I've, I've talked about, okay, easing him back in and setting the bar a little low for him. Well, there's no greater security blanket on the Calgary Flames defense than Chris Tanev. And there's nobody Oliver Shillington is more comfortable with than Chris Tanev, just based on past experience. So that's not necessarily the worst landing spot to put Shillington as well. And then even if you want to do that, you can go Uyghur Zadorov up their minutes. Maybe you drop the responsibilities of Tanev just a little bit, keep him a little bit more fresh, keep him, you know, he's very, he's very much your best defensive defenseman, but if you can peel back those hard minutes a little bit for him and, and give it to the other quote-unquote top four, then maybe he's a little bit healthier throughout the year. Maybe he's a little bit more fresh throughout the year. But first and foremost, that gives Shillington the biggest security blanket you can give him coming back after missing 17 months. Uh, I want to read you a couple of texts at 960, 960. In fact, I'll read you three because they all lead into the the final part of this conversation. Um, This says, if Shillington's back, how does Hannafin slot in? This says, they need cap room. What about moving Hannafin? He's an unrestricted pen. He's a, a pending unrestricted free agent. Get the five million in cap space, and you might actually get back one of the top nine wingers that you need. And this says, if Shillington comes back and they don't move a guy like Hannafin or Zadorov, I'll be seriously confused. And that kind of leads to the last point: is does Shillington's return make somebody else expendable? And you throw Troy Stetcher into this conversation as well, because if you trade away a D man to open up some cap space, it gives you a little bit more of an open door to bring Stetcher back. And now we talked about Stetcher last week and the idea of re-signing him, but re-signing him, would he be a true top six guy if Shillington was back? Well, now we know for sure that Shillington's coming back. And so does that make somebody else expendable? Can you come back with a strong blue line next year, move one of the guys you've got under contract, and maybe open up some cap space to help you elsewhere as a result because they do not have a lot of cap space for next year. We don't know how much the cap is going up, but they might very well have to move somebody else to be compliant at the beginning of the year. Well, and it's a curious discussion, argument, whatever you want to call it, because the Calgary Flames have three pending unrestricted free agents next summer on the blue line in Zadorov, Hannafin, and Tanev. You look at the situation now with the cap, and I think they're somewhere close to 82 or 82.5 with somewhere in the neighborhood of 18 contracts. And I think that might even be factoring in or not factoring in Oliver Shillington. So you're starting to get to a bit of a cap crunch already before you've even hit July 1 and address the needs you do. And we've talked at length about needing a younger fourth line, but you also need a inexpensive fourth line and entry-level contracts are a good way to do it. 
Another way to free up cap space is to deal one of those pending unrestricted free agent defensemen, send them out, bring something back, whether it be prospects, picks, or a player that can play now. And as the texter mentioned in your top nine, well, you filled one hole, you come in and for free in theory, you could sign a player like Troy Stetcher to play in your bottom pair. And suddenly you do the math a little bit. And if you can shave off some savings towards the cap there by dealing a bigger contract, signing Stetcher to a lower contract, if there is an active player coming back, they've got a low enough cap hit. You've created some space and filled two holes. So maybe you, let's just, because everybody's talking about Hannafin. And for the longest time, I've pushed back on the idea of moving Hannafin because I think that his contract and what he brings you is being a 20 to 24 minute top four defenseman at the value he brings you is something you want on this team. But now that he's entering the final year of a contract and the cap situation is what it is, maybe you do think about maybe the plan is maybe you move a guy like him and you don't bring back a roster player in that move. The plan would be next year, Uyghur, Anderson, Tanev, Shillington, Zadorov, Stetcher, Gilbert, there's your seven right there. Maybe that opens the door up to bring Stone back again, too. As start, him on a, start him on a uh, AHL contract and then flip him if you run into some injury trouble. I'm just saying. I think you could get something good for Hannafin. And, and I, I again, so. I, I'm not suggesting that you want to move him out because he's no good, but asset management, knowing the situation you're in, and cap management, it might be something that you have to, you have to think about doing. So get get a pick and a prospect for Hannafin, help stock the cupboards, use the return of Shillington and the fact that you've used the term depth a number of times. You've got relatively strong depth at that position organizationally. Take advantage of that. Deal from a position of strength and put yourself in a spot where you can also maybe retool a little bit on the fly. Like I I like Hannafin. I'm a big fan of, of the guy, big fan of the player, and what he's brought to this team, but this might be a good time to think about moving on, and, and this might be a good time to try to maximize a return. Well, I'd, I'm certainly listening to offers, first and foremost, and I'm also having discussions with his agent about what his next contract looks like as well, because to me, that can layer into it as well. I just l- would really be curious to be a fly on the wall in those conversations when you're talking to other teams w- about a defenseman who's played 81 games in each of the past two seasons. Last year, he had 48 points. This year, he had 38 points. As you mentioned, he's anywhere from a 20 to 24-point guy. He's 6'3 and 200 pounds and can skate the way he skates. I'd be curious to see what the the open market is for Noah Hannafin in terms of a trade because I think that he could be a very valuable piece in terms of, as you mentioned, retooling on the fly where you're able to bring in a pick and a prospect and something else. So I would most definitely... But again, I'm having all these... If I'm the new GM coming in, I'm having all these conversations on guys like Hannafin, Zadorov, Tanev, Backlund, Lindholm, Toffoli... All these guys that are set to be an unrestricted free agent a year from now, you're trying to remain competitive, but you're also trying to find a way to navigate the cap, and you're also trying to find a way to restock the prospect pool a little bit. I'm having all these conversations in the first couple weeks that I'm on the job. Uh, a few more texts, 96960. Uh, Hannafin has to be traded. Then you play Anderson with Uyghur. Keep Tan. I'm, I'm trying to read this one. It's a voice defect. It's keep Town of West <laughs> Shillington. Um, I think that means keep Tanev and Shillington and then find someone like Stature, which I believe is Stature, <laughs> to play with Zadorov. Here, I'll... Zadorov worked fine on that, though. Um, yeah, Zadorov was fine. The rest of them. So this is how it read voice to text. Hannafin 
has to be traded. Then you play Anderson with Uyghur, keep Town of Wes Shillington, and then find <laughs> someone like Stature to play with Zadorov. The translation, Hannafin has to be traded, then you play Anderson with Uyghur, keep Tanev Shillington, and then find someone like Stetcher to play with Zadorov. And that's kind of the idea that you would be working with if you're the Flames. Um, this says, I know this will be unpopular, but I think Tanev should be moved. They had too much team reliance on him for a guy that can only play two-thirds of a season. Anderson's become the new number one. Stetcher and Shillington will fit in it nicely. Uh, this says, say you do move Hannafin, what does that bring you back? What would you ask for? I think you can get a decent pick and a prospect for a guy like Hannafin with that contract and a year left. I think you could get a really nice return for him if you were to end up moving on. And I think that because of your depth at the position, you don't need to bring back a roster player right now. You can bring back stuff that is more future oriented without taking a significant step back in your competitiveness. Level. Now are you, we talk depth a lot. If you move to Hannafin, are you concerned about your depth at all? In just looking back, that I mean, what was it? Was it four separate occasions? uh, Chris Hannafin was out this year, at least three. Am I am I overestimating? Five, five, yeah. That's a lot of time without one of your quote unquote top four defensemen. So suddenly, if you remove two top fours from that equation, and you're now looking at a Stetcher Gilbert or a Stetcher Stone pair for any length of time, like does that worry you at all? In in removing a piece like Hannafin, knowing that Chris Tanev didn't have the healthiest season last year? It is definitely a factor, but I don't think it would be enough of a factor to say, no, I'm not going to even think about going down that road. Okay. Good question, though. Uh, With Vickers, Pat Steinberg on this. Tuesday hour of Flames Talk. We're coming at you from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. They're your local experts for basement waterproofing, sump pumps, crawl spaces, foundation repair, and radon mitigation. They're all things basement Visit DL Basement Systems, Calgary.com.